this morning's um, sermon I'll be reading um, is titled Feeding on a Whole Christ. And um, it, uh, it seemed to fit fairly well with Paul's clear gospel uh, sermon last week and the fact that we will be partaking of Lord's Supper this morning. Um, if you would turn with me um, to Numbers chapter 9, we'll be reading from 1 through 12, and the text for today will be verses 11 and 12. So for a bit of context, um, we'll read the, from verse 1. Um, and I just uh, would ask before we start um, that we do our best to pay attention. This is a reading sermon. Um, um, I am a broken man, and uh, Spurgeon was as well. So listen to what the Lord would have for us. From verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first of month of the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. In the fourteenth day of this month, at even, ye shall keep it, in his appointed season, according to all the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall ye keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month, that even in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded, Moses so did the children of, oh, so did the children of Israel. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man, that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back, that we might not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or be in a journey afar off, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The fourteenth day of the second month at even they shall keep it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it, according to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. And before I begin, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before you um, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ gathered to worship you and now to feed on you, to hear your word. Um, Lord, may, um, may we receive you uh, and your word readily, and may we, um, may we take it in. Um, Lord, guide me in my speech um, and guide um, all before, before me in their hearing uh, and in their understanding, that they would seek to listen to understand um, what you would have for us in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this uh, sermon was uh, first preached on April 3rd, 1887 by Charles Spurgeon um, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Um, And uh, I will read our text once more. The sermon is titled, Feeding on a Whole Christ. The fourteenth day of the second month at even they shall keep it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it, According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Numbers 9, 11 through 12. In great tenderness, God permitted the Passover to be kept a second time, that those who had unavoidably been defiled at the first observance might not be shut out from the memorable and symbolic rite. But although he altered the date of the Passover, he never changed the structure of it. The Passover feast was to be the same whenever it was celebrated and by whoever it was observed. Whether one family or an Israelite who happened to be a stranger and visitor in the house, whoever it might be, kept the Passover, the same regulations were to be carefully followed. From this, I gather, learning a lesson from the type, that whatever the experiences by which we come to salvation, Christ is ever the same and we must partake of him in the same way. You who have been so defiled that you have to eat the second Passover, even at the eleventh hour, long after others have been feeding on Christ, still there is the same Christ for you as there is for those who come at the right time, who seek the Lord early and find him, and find him while yet their youth is upon them. There is none but Jesus For each one of us, there is no way for this peculiar man to himself because of his righteous life and no way for that person peculiar to himself because of his ungodliness. For the most moral and the most immoral person, there is the same savior to be received by like precious faith. Only by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus are we delivered from wrath and only by feeding upon Christ can our spiritual life be sustained. There are not two Gospels, but only one Gospel. There are not two Christs, but only one Christ. There are not two roads to heaven, but only one road to heaven. Let us go together to the cross, view the one great sacrifice for sin, and by faith find salvation in him. The subject for us to consider this morning will be this. If we do receive Christ, that reception is beautifully expressed and represented by our feeding upon him. And so we have three points this morning. First, we are to feed upon Jesus Christ. The Passover lamb was to be eaten. Secondly, we are to receive Christ and feed upon him as a whole Christ, as an entire Christ. They shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it. And then thirdly, we are to receive Christ in union with others. It's a very blessed thing when our personal, when our personal reception of Christ, our personal feeding upon Christ, is not a solitary act, but is done in company. As when, in the past, a, ho- a whole household came together to feed upon the Passover lamb. First, then, we are to feed upon Jesus Christ. The true reception of Christ 
is very beautifully expressed by our feeding upon him. The point a sinner longs to know when he is stirred up and his conscience is thoroughly awakened is first this, how can I be saved? I know that Christ is a savior, but how can I make him my savior? I understand that he has provided an atonement by which sin can be put away. How can that atonement put my sin away? When the Passover lamb was killed in the household of the Israelite, first the blood must be sprinkled on the lintel and the two side posts by the man who was the head of the household. And as soon as it was sprinkled, its virtue operated at once, and that house was secure. Next, they must bring in this lamb that had been roasted with fire. They must gather around the table, and all they had to do was eat it. Now, eating is such a simple operation that I cannot explain it. I suppose the best way of explaining how to eat would be by eating. And the best way of explaining how Christ is to be received is to receive him. Yet, since I'm seeking to help some poor troubled one, I must try, if I can, to explain what it is to eat the Passover lamb and what it is to receive Christ. I say again, eating the Passover lamb was a very simple process. Moses might have said to a fellow Jew, that lamb is yours if you will eat it. There's no ceremony to go through, no incantation to be repeated, no sign to be performed. You stand at the table, you eat the lamb, and it is yours. Now concerning feeding upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing to be done is to receive him by faith. Receiving is the first part of eating. You're hungry, bread is set before you, you put the bread in your mouth, you receive it, and it becomes yours. So receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is the mouth by which he is to be received. Believe him. Believe what is testified concerning him in the word of God. Say to yourself, this record is true. Jesus is the son of God. He came into the world as a man. He lived a holy life. He died a sacrificial death, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. I believe all this. I accept it as true. As true to me, and I take it, not, only in, not into my ear only as hearing it, but into my heart, as believing it to be assuredly the truth, whereby alone souls can be saved. But suppose I take him and have no right to him. Everyone? You take him? If you take him, you have him, right or no right. If you've eaten a piece of bread, though you had no right to it, it will puzzle all the lawyers in the world to get it away from you. Possession, in such a case as that, is more than the proverbial nine points of the law. Yes, it is all the points of the law. And so if you take Christ as yours, then you have Christ as yours. Oh, that you would grasp him now. Well, suppose it's not right for me to have, a, to have Christ. It was never wrong for a poor sinner to take Christ. If he is near, you grab hold on him now. Lay hold on eternal life, says the apostle, and so lay hold on Christ. And God will never cry, hands off, to a soul that lays hold on Christ. Be boldly daring for once, and thou shalt not find thyself repulsed. 
The door of mercy is open. Enter. And if you are repulsed, you will be the first that was ever rejected by Christ, whoever you may be. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. I have done that, says one. And I'm very glad that you have. But have you really done it? There is a way of believing, and yet not truly believing. A man believes that something is true. At least he says he does. And yet he may act in such a way as shall prove he does not actually believe it. You're in your house, in bed, and asleep. Someone wakes you up, crying out that, there's, that your house is on fire. And you calmly turn over and go to sleep again. I know by your action that you could not have believed the report that was brought to you. Someone looks you in the face and tells you that you can, he can see there are traces of a deadly disease, and that within a short time you'll be dead unless you take a certain medicine. If you tell me that you believe that the disease is on you, and believe that the medicine would heal you if you took it, and then after telling me that, do you go home and don't think about it anymore? Then I know, then I would know that you have not truly spoken in saying that you believe, for true believing will move you to action. You would be seriously affected by these things if you truly believe them. Come now, let me then ask you the question, is sin a reality to you? Do you accept the sinner's position and confess that you need a savior? Do you believe that the Son of God has appeared in human form on purpose, that he might save such as us? Can you advance one step further forward and say, I believe in Christ as my Savior? So far, so good. The bread is in your mouth. In eating, the next thing is that food must undergo a process of digestion. It needs to lie in the body and be dissolved. So in order to have a full reception of Christ, there must be some digestion by meditation. The great truths I've mentioned enter the soul. They're turned over in the heart and mind by meditation. We think of them, ponder them, consider them, and they begin to influence us. And our mind sets to work upon those truths, pressing the very juice and essence out of them, making us to know their secret virtues and powers. Oh, sirs, there are some of you who will never be saved by Christ because you will not think. Unless the Lord Jesus should graciously meet with you and suddenly you should be caused to believe on him, and I pray that would be the case, I'm afraid you will certainly be lost. Some of you are not in a condition to get any good out of hearing the gospel because you do not think about what you hear. You do not lay up in your hearts and turn over in your minds what is, taught with you, what is taught you on the Sabbath day. Many let the gospel have a clear path, for they allow it to go in one ear and out the other. So, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, with them, it is only hearing the gospel, and that is all. The truth has no opportunity to become food to their spirits. For what they seem to take in one minute, they cast out the next. And this is not feeding at all, it's folly and mockery. Well now, after the food has entered the body and has been digested, there's a further process. I'm not going into any physiological discussion, but there is, as you know, the process of assimilation. 
Certain vessels within the body perform their various functions, and so gradually the food that has been taken up is made to nourish the body and build it up. So the bread, which a little while ago was separate from me, becomes inseparable from me. It has been taken up into my system and has become part and parcel of myself. This is the best form of feeding upon Christ, when having believed the truth about him and having thought it over till we have digested it, certain secret faculties within our nature take him up and assimilate him into our spiritual life. I believe that Christ was the, son, was the incarnate Son of God, and I do not believe, merely believe that as a matter of fact, but I look to be saved by him who became man in order that he might save me. See further, I believe that this God incarnate did bear my sins in his own body on the tree. I look to be forgiven. No, I know that I am forgiven because he took my sin away and ended it so far as I'm concerned. That is the assimilating of the great truth of the atonement in the inmost part of my spirit. I do not want to explain the process any longer. I want you to put it into practice. Now, beloved, you who have often fed upon Christ, feed on him again at this moment. Think of him as you know him, and try to know more of him. What you do know of him, grasp it. Press out these clusters of their sacred juice. Press out of these clusters their sacred juice. Draw out of these truths the divine support which they are intended to give your spirit. Say, these truths are mine. I live on them. I could die on them. I want nothing more. If you do really feed upon Christ, it will come to this, that Christ and you will be one, and no one will be able to separate you from him or to take him from you. As the bread or the meat that you may eat becomes one with yourself, so will Christ, absorbed into your inmost heart by a childlike trust, become vitally and everlastingly part and parcel of yourself. And because he lives, you must also live, for he has made you to live, and he lives in you. And now touching on the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread, I am sure that if you have once learned to feed upon Christ in the way I've been describing, you will not object to the bitter herbs that were to be eaten with the, with the Passover. Oh no, those bitter herbs seem to give a zest to the feast. I thought to myself when I was trying to get into the soul of this text, I have a dish of bitter herbs every day. They come to me in this form. Christian ministers whom I have educated, forsaking the faith. Christian people who I thought were converted, behaving in an unseemly and ungodly manner. And anxieties about many who do not seem to have so much care about their own souls as I have concerning them. O Christ, my blessed Master, my service to you is very sweet because of you, but in itself, woe is me that ever I was born to it. But the regulation is, with bitter herbs shall you eat it. Therefore, let us go on with our work and take whatever of bitterness accompanies our service to our Lord. Perhaps some of you get sneered at for your religion, that is your dish of bitter herbs. Or it may be that you are very poor, or possibly 
The more you know of Christ, the more you know also of your own unworthiness, and that knowledge is like eating bitter herbs. Very well, thank God that you have Christ, and say nothing about the bitter herbs, for if the Israelite who is hungry gets a Passover lamb to feed upon, he may well be content to take the bitter herbs with it. The Israelites were also to eat the Passover with unleavened bread. Leavened bread is usually considered by our poor fallen nature to be more agreeable to our taste, and there is a measure of self-denial implied in the putting away of the leaven. Well, we're called to deny ourselves for Christ's sake, and we would put away all forms of sin, everything that is leavened, that we may have our all in him, and find everything that delights the palate and charms the spirit in Christ alone. Yes, take away, our, take away your leavened bread with all its sweetness, and bring in the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread instead we will be perfectly satisfied so long as the true Passover lamb is on the table and our souls may feed on him. I'll say no more on that first part of my subject, but I pray in the silence of, his, of your spirits that you would feed upon Christ. This brings me to my second point, that we are to receive Christ as a whole. The Lord said concerning the Passover, they shall leave none of it into the morning, nor break any bone of it. And if we receive Christ, we must receive him as a whole. We must receive Christ in the entirety of his person. There are some here who would receive Christ as a good man, but not as God. But you cannot have Christ at all, except you have him as a whole. And there are some here who take the opposite side and are willing to receive Christ as God, but not as a bleeding, suffering man but you cannot receive Christ at all if you will not have him altogether. And you must have him in the entirety of his person as God and man, or else you cannot have him at all and cannot enjoy him as the food of your soul. We must receive Christ in the entirety of his offices. He has to become, or he has to be, he has come to be a prophet, priest, and king. Be willing to be instructed by him, to be cleansed by him, to be ruled by him. You cannot have the priest unless you also have the prophet, nor can he be your prophet unless he becomes your king. A whole Christ, an undivided honor, accepted as being all that he professes to be, you must have him entirely or not at all. And you must have a whole Christ regarding his work. He comes to put away your sin by the shedding of his blood, and you say, I will have him. But listen, he comes to take away your sinfulness as well, to make you holy by the water which flowed with the blood from his riven side. You cannot take justification and omit sanctification. You must have both or neither. The law concerning the Passover was, they shall leave none of it into the morning, nor break any bone of it. You must have Christ as he set forth in his word in all the parts of his saving work. Next, we must have Christ in all his teachings. It will not do for us to say, I'll believe Christ when he speaks in his Sermon on the, sermon on the Mount and teaches us the ethics of ordinary life, but I will not believe him when he opens up the mysteries of his love as he addresses his disciples on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. You cannot have him at all unless you're willing to believe all that he taught as far as you know it and to believe that what he spoke must be true. 
You must take the Lord Jesus Christ to be absolutely infallible to you, otherwise you can't receive him at all. You must also take Christ in all his warnings. You must not turn your back when he says, these shall go away into everlasting punishment and think his language too severe. They who complain at one word of Christ have really complained at Christ himself. As one leak will sink a boat, so will one complaint at Christ destroy your loyal confidence in him. No. Take every word he says and believe it. Hang your soul upon it, knowing that it must be true since Christ has said it. You must leave nothing of this blessed Passover lamb. And so it must also be to take Christ in all his commands. It's not ours It's ours not to reason why, but ours to do what he bids us. And we must not say, this is essential and that is not essential. We must not say, I'll do this that he bids me, and I will not do that which he bids me. You are not disciples but rebels if you act in this way. You're not his friends but his enemies if you pick and choose which of his commands you'll obey. How can one be a good soldier who will sometimes obey his captain and will sometimes disobey? Such discipline, or rather, such lack of discipline, could not be tolerated in any army, and it will not be endured in the armies of the living God. No, you must take a whole Christ in all his commands. And it must be the same way to Christ and his spirit, One says, Christ is very loving, and I will be loving too. And you're right in saying so. But the Christ that we know, that we read in his word, was very outspoken and very uncompromising. Will you also be outspoken and uncompromising? If not, your loving spirit will go for a little, for it will only be a kind of pandering to worldliness. The spirit of Christ is a perfect spirit. It's not for us to select one quality of a spirit and say, I will imitate that. As Christ acted at all times, so must you act. As far as you are capable of following him, put your foot down where he put his foot down. Do what he did according to your measure and degree. A whole Christ, fully and faithfully imitated, can alone produce a perfect character. Well now, beloved friends, you see what what our orders are here. We are first to feed upon Christ, and then next we are to receive him entirely. But I regret that there are some persons who do not feed upon a whole Christ. Some will not do so through sheer willfulness. They will pick and choose. And so they show their self-conceit and their rebellion. Do not do so. Do not do so, but feed on the whole Christ as the Israelites ate the whole of the Passover lamb. Some are unable through ignorance to feed on a whole Christ. They do not know him or they would gladly receive him. Don't let ignorance hinder any of you from partaking of the sweetest things on the table of God's grace. But say to yourself, as little as I know, I feel that if I know more, I would only wish to know that Jesus, what Jesus would teach me. And I yield myself up to him implicitly, even as a blind man yields himself to his guide. And I say to Jesus, what I don't know, teach me. In that way, you will at least be willing to eat the whole Passover lamb, even though through through ignorance, you do not fully understand what it is to receive him. 
There are also some who through timidity fail to feed upon a whole Christ. They're afraid to take in some of the glorious doctrines that he teaches, some of the sweet things of his everlasting covenant, some of the strong meat of his eternal purposes, some of the fat things full of marrow and the wine upon the lees well refined. I pray you shrink not back, but since Christ gives himself wholly to his people, if there be a precious covenant word, feed on it. If there is a rich promise, believe it and enjoy it. Christ denies nothing to his beloved. If you really come to his table and desire to have all that there is in him, take it and don't be afraid. He'll never chide you. Therefore, be free with Christ. He himself has given the invitation, eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. Take all of Christ into your soul according to your capacity till you're filled with him. Come joyfully and partake cheerfully of all that he freely gives to you, and do not be afraid. I think that I need to say no more on this second point, only that I, only I would to God that many here were willing to say, I will have a whole Christ. If you're willing to have him, he's yours. If you will but trust him, he's yours. There's nothing for you to do but to take him as you hope to take your supper tonight. Receive him into yourself to be the spirit, to be the food of your spirit, and he is yours forever. Now, I must say only just a few sentences on the last point, that we are to receive Christ in union with others. The Passover was not a solitary meal. A man did not shut himself up alone and have the lamb roasted and set on the table and try to eat it all himself. No, it was a family meal. All who were in the house of the seed of Israel, masters and servants, husband and wife and children, all came to that table and fed together. Oh, I like to enjoy Christ for myself. But if I may not speak for others, I will speak for myself, and I must say that I always enjoy the things of God better with you than I do alone. There is so much zest about having friends to enjoy Christ with us. We can feast upon him alone, blessed be his name, and we do know the sweetness of solitary fellowship with Christ. But we love still more to share the blessing with other Christians. I have no wish to go all the way to the celestial city alone. I would much rather go with Christiana and Mercy and all those little ones, the whole family of pilgrims and Mr. Greatheart and all the rest of them. They had such cheery talks together. And when they met the giants, if one was a little cast down, another brightened him up and encouraged him. What a fine thing it was for such a poor creature as Mr. Ready to Halt, who always went on his crutches, and for poor, and for poor little faith and Mr. Despondent despondency and miss much afraid to get into such good company it would have been a dreary journey to them if they had gone all the way to the celestial city each one alone but when they traveled in such good company you know they grew merry you remember that they were so jubilant when giant despair's head was cut off that mr ready to halt though he had never done such a thing before danced without his crutches it's wonderful what joy comes out of Christian communion and holy fellowship. So it's good that you eat the Passover together and not alone. It's well that you rejoice in Christ in the company of others who are rejoicing in him. The first with whom we should receive Christ is our own family. Well then, my brother, what about the members of your family? Are they all converted yet? Are they all saved? If not, 
breathe a prayer that the Lord would bring the rest of them in to the Passover feast. Still, when the Jew met with his family and ate the Passover supper, that was not the greatest joy of it, for he recollected that everywhere else, wherever there was an Israelitish family, they were all doing the same, and that the whole of the chosen people of God were one in keeping this commemorative feast. So are all the people of God one in Christ. I do like to think that I have fellowship with all the saints. I do not object to have fellowship with those who differ from me in many respects. I do think that there is a communion of saints that cannot be limited. If there is life in you and there is life in me, you may be mistaken and I may be mistaken on some points, but the one life in us will make us have communion with Jesus. Perhaps you do not obey all, the, all of Christ's commands, and I say to you, well, then I will not commune with you. But I cannot help commun having communion with you if you are in the body of Christ. Communion is the, is the pulse of the body. And unless I cut my finger off, I can't help having fellowship with my finger. It may be very dirty. I may tie a bit of red tape around it and say, there, I'll cut you off from fellowship with the rest of my body. But it's no use. As long as the body lives and the finger lives, the fellowship must be there. The lifeblood must continue to flow through it. So, dear brethren, we see many saints of God, many whom we believe to be the children of God, who no doubt are mistaken and have many faults. And who is there who is not mistaken and is without fault? But if the life of God is in them, there is fellowship beyond all rules and regulations, and that is the fellowship of the life, which is the head of the church. It pulses through all the members and must do so evermore. I hope to come to the communion table today, then, enjoying fellowship with all the redeemed of the Lord, both on earth and in heaven, yes, and with those who have gone from earth hundreds of years ago, and, by faith, also to enjoy something of fellowship, even with generations yet unborn, that in the fullness of time shall come to know the Lord. Thank God, many of us do know what it is to commune with Christ, as well as to commune with his people. Both as individuals and as a worshiping assembly, we've often proved the sweetness of fellowship with our Lord. Sometimes, at, uh, together at the communion table, he has, he has been set forth manifestly crucified among us, and sometimes, alone, on our bed at night, he has spoken with us. I have known what it is to sit up and try not to go to sleep, lest I should lose the overflowing joy of his divine presence. I have been afraid at other times to rise from my bed in the morning, lest in going downstairs I should break the spell of conscious fellowship with him. Our Lord Jesus is so near his people, and there are times when we have, we have such close communion with him that we get some sense of our eternal fellowship. And then do we sing. I stand upon the mount of God with sunlight in my soul. I bear the storms and veils beneath. I hear the thunders roll. But I am calm with thee, my God, beneath these glorious skies and to the heights on which I stand. Nor storms nor clouds can rise. Oh, this life, oh, this joy, my God, to find thee so thy face to see, thy voice to hear, and all thy love to know.
God grant us more of that blessed fellowship. For our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Um, I think we'll sing. Yeah. Maybe before we do, I will close this sermon in prayer. Lord, um, words were spoken and we have broken language and broken hearing. We um, struggle at times to understand what, what our brother or sister is trying to tell us. Um, Lord, I uh, would just pray that um, we would understand um, in this that we are to feed upon you. We are to feed upon you entirely. We are to leave no part of you out. Um, and may we do so in fellowship with all of our fellow brothers and sisters. And may we see that as we partake of communion shortly. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you.